Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, Mark and Mike with you. Hope you're all well, and thanks for checking us out today. We have a Hall of Fame episode for you. If you are a subscriber, you already know it's really our guests that make this podcast so special. And our guest today, Mark, is a player you know very well from your time with the Colorado Rockies, and he now is going to join the most elite fraternity in all of sports. Yeah, and then congratulations to Larry, too, because this is a, a culmination of a fabulous career. I'll tell you this. When I got into the Rockies uniform, I went out to right field, and there's Larry, obviously, during batting practice, and he said, uh, he goes, man, I tell you what, I need everyone to wear those hello, my name is uh, markers on their chest <laughs> because there were so many different changes in Colorado that uh, he got used to. But I tell you what, it's a Hall of Fame career that I think a lot of us as teammates are, are very proud of. All right. And Larry's joining us now. And Larry, hey, congratulations on being elected to the Hall of Fame. Though I get it, it's a strange situation this year. The Hall canceling the induction ceremonies because of the COVID pandemic pushed to next year. But strange as it is, has it even hit you that you're in? Well, that's a, a common question. And uh, I did my orientation up in Cooperstown and walked around, signed the wall uh, in the in the hall of the, where all the plaques are, and gosh, I, I uh, and, and I hate to say it, but it really hasn't sunk in. You know, I, I guess nothing in my head has changed. I, I'm still the same nutcase uh, I was uh, before I got went in, and uh, uh, but uh, you know, I, I know it's there, and I think once the induction ceremony happens, and uh, I got to go up and do that speech, uh, and, and I think it'll probably sink in a little bit more then. Larry, I know that uh, you, know, you waited 10 years to get in, and uh, there was probably a little bit of doubt, I'm, I'm kind of assuming, uh, when Jack O'Connell called you. What was that moment like? Where were you, and, and how'd that make you feel? Well, that, uh, I think that's a lot of people may have seen that video and, uh, and my SpongeBob outfit, which seemed to be a hit. Love that. <laughs> I, uh, I was just sitting out front, and uh, I had a, you know, a few few family and friends with me and um and you know they said a, a, a roundabout time when they were going to call and uh, about 90 seconds i said we're going to go back inside because i didn't think the call was coming and uh and then about 30 seconds after i said that uh the phone which i had sitting on the bar for everybody to see and hear uh, it rang and everybody screamed and went crazy and i kind of went numb and uh I didn't say a thing. I just sat there and looked at it. And somebody had to yell at me to answer the damn thing before it went to voicemail. So uh, it was a pretty surreal moment for sure. I think a lot of the teammates, um, as soon as we saw that video, uh, we definitely looked right at uh, the SpongeBob shirt. And it was it was laughter because that's your personality. What went into that thought process of, of wearing that shirt? Because you knew you were going to be on video. Well, I, like I say, I never expected a, a call to come. I, I honestly didn't. And uh, um, I, I put that on because I, I live in Florida and it, typically it's not cold. It was a, a, a little chillier evening that evening around 5.15. So I, I went, just went in my closet to find something warm. And that's the first thing I saw. I've never wore that thing except for one time I played in a member guest uh, golf event down in Florida with a friend. And uh, that was three years before that. And that was our warm-up, part of our SpongeBob entire outfit we had. But that was just a warm-up uh, shirt that I wore that came off for the round of golf. And it was just sitting there in the closet. I saw it, and on it went. And, you know, after that, I never expected the, <laughs> for a video to be taken to show, to show everybody it. But, oh, well. 
You know, Larry, we talk to guys uh, who've been through this experience, and a lot of them will tell us, no matter what they were going through on the field, that giving that Hall of Fame induction speech is more nerve-wracking for them. You bought yourself, unfortunately, uh, or however you look at it, a little bit of extra time here with the pandemic. Uh, Have you started formulating your thoughts, and how challenging is that going to be for you, do you think? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not good at public speaking uh, or being in front of that many people. I can stand at home plate in front of 50,000 people with a bat in my hand with no issues at all. Uh, standing in front of a podium in front of 50,000 people, uh, you know, I, I start getting uh, nervous right now just talking about it. So it's uh, uh, right when everything got canceled and uh, I, I texted Derek Jeter and told him that, uh, hey, we got 15 more months to get this thing right because neither one of us had really started our speech yet. So. Is that something that you uh, seek advice or are you just going to kind of wing it? Because there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. A lot of people that talked about getting that speech ready had a lot to do with, you know what, how am I going to formulate so many people that impacted my career? Yeah, I've watched a lot of other videos uh, from past Hall of Fames to, to see how other speeches went that guys did. And, and I'm kind of uh, trying to learn off of them. Um, my, my, my thank yous aren't going to be quite as extensive as everybody else. Just for the fact I never played high school baseball or college baseball, you know, I played little league and that was it. You know, I'm going to, I thank my hockey coaches more than I thank my baseball coaches because <laughs> there's not very many of them. So, um, but in that same breath, it's a tough list to make because there's, you know, I, there's so many people on the way in the minor leagues that, uh, that, that helped me, you know, hone the game and, and every player I played with uh, or against, they all helped me because I paid a lot of attention to how other players played the game and learned off what they did and, and you know, and what they didn't do, you know. So, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely something where it, it's, it's, it's challenging. Uh, I'm more of a just wing it type guy. I'm going to have to actually read something off, uh, off a piece of paper, which I, I don't know. It's, I, I could be <laughs> tripping all over my tongue the whole time, but we'll see. Larry, you know, when you make it to the Hall of Fame in your final season on the writer's ballot, what do you think for you was the game changer? Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, in a crazy way, if I ever, if, if they thought I had a chance, I think I maybe possibly was penalized for where I played and they were going to make me wait it out. I don't know if that made sense. Uh, I think the analytics of the game have really changed and, uh, and the, the, those numbers started to take more a consideration that uh, they got to see when they, when they, you know, when the analytic people put all of those things out online and, and showed all that stuff. So like I say, I think it was meant to be, um, anybody that knows me, my favorite number is three. And uh, I thought I was going to come just short. And my number I guessed that was 73.3. And uh, of course, as it turned out, I missed that by 3.3% as it came in at 76.6. And uh, if I wouldn't have waited the 10 years, I wouldn't have been the 333rd person in well, you think about that. I, I think that's fascinating because being around you, everyone knew that the three had a lot to do with everything that you uh, culminated. I, I don't want to take it to a Nomar Garcia para craziness <laughs> that he did, but there are those subtleties that I thought was was really cool about your career. The other thing is, and you said it, you paid attention to the game because you had to. You had to learn from others, and then you learn that you're in. And you go, well, who else is in? Well, you almost assumed Derek Jeter was going to be that guy. And here he comes. And, and what's that feel like to you, knowing that your career happened, his happens on the main stage in, in Yankee Stadium for all of his career? What was that like for you? 
Well, it's awesome. You know, I, I've met Derek a couple times off the field before and, uh, you know, awesome superstar gentleman looked up by not just Yankee fans, but baseball fans in general. You know, he's one of the good guys of the game. And, and uh, you know, I think it, <laughs> he makes it great, makes it super easy for Ted and I and, and whoever's going to be representing Marvin there um, to, to go up and do our speech because we could literally talk for 30 seconds and get off the stage and that would make everybody happy because we're in New York and you're going to have the, one of the greatest Yankees ever to put on a uniform. That's what they're going to be waiting for. So we could cut our short speech a little bit short. <laughs> Still though, Larry, a lot of folks are going to come down from Canada to be there for your special day. And I know you're working with Cooperstown on this, but how difficult a decision was it to decide between wearing an Expos hat or the Rockies hat? Um, well, ultimately, it is the Hall of Fame's choice. So if, you know, if I was to come up and say, hey, I was gonna, I'm going to wear a Cardinals hat, well, obviously, they would probably say, no, you're not doing that. Um, I think they would have listened to me if I would have said I'd rather do a uh, an Expos hat than a Rockies, but they asked for my opinion, first of all, and I gave them what I thought was what what made sense to me, and, and that was the Rockies uniform, or the Rockies hat, I guess, just because of uh, the extensive amount of the bats and the games I played in a Rocky uniform compared to an Expo uniform, and I, and, you know, I guess it's pretty special being the first Rocky player ever to go into, so that's going to, you know, that, that, that sits well with me as well, and but uh, it, it was a tough choice. I am Canadian, and like I've told a lot of my Canadian friends that have given me crap about it uh, on how you couldn't choose an Expo hat. That uh, you know, it's it's an ex, it's a Rockies hat hat on the on the plaque. But uh, you know, there's always a maple leaf in my heart, so I always try to you know remind them that I am Canadian, and that hasn't changed. Being the second guy going into the Hall of Fame behind Ferguson Jenkins uh, has to feel really good. The pride of being from Canada, knowing that you went through all of those things. Does this open the door for a lot others, uh, including the Colorado Rockies? Well, I think, uh, I think it definitely helps, you know, because we got uh, Todd Helton's on the ballot right now. Uh, Nolan Arenado, if he ends up spending his whole career in a Rocky uniform, is going to be uh, heavily looked at as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the writer's call, but I think it definitely uh, it, it eased that uh, – possibility to, to for other players to, to get a better look at that's for sure you know Larry when uh, you mentioned a moment ago how uh, your thank you list was going to be a little shorter perhaps in some because you didn't have as much time uh, in baseball as some of the guys say born in the states or elsewhere who've been inducted we think your story is fascinating for a number of reasons but take us back to when you were a kid and hockey was your love and how you felt <clears throat> when it became evident to you that it wasn't going to work out. You weren't going to follow your buddies per se into the NHL. Yeah. And I remember, you know, like I say, being a Canadian, you come into the world with skates on your feet and a stick in your hand. And that's, uh, I was no different. Uh, you know, the baseball practices usually happen after school for, for you guys. And uh, for me, it was getting up at five in the morning and having my pajamas on under my hockey uniform, going for practices as a kid and then going back and, sleep for another hour, then go to school. That's how, that's how our day started. But yeah, once hockey didn't, uh, didn't pan out and I probably didn't push it maybe far enough, hard enough and, and, uh, decide to fold on that. And then, uh, you know, baseball came and knocking and, uh, uh, after playing for a couple of team Canada teams and, uh, and a team British Columbia team, uh, the Expos offered me $1,500 in U S currency, which was, Shoot, that was over two grand at the time, Canadian. So uh, I'd never seen that kind of money ever growing up. So I, I, I couldn't give me the pen. Where do I sign? Type thing. 
Uh, Larry, when did you feel uh, that moment where you knew that this was a path that you could work hard at and understand it, it, it could work for you? Did you have that, that moment? Um, I would probably, you know, it definitely wasn't the first couple of years. I mean, I was, I was not very good. I was horrible. I, I know I, I got sent to two co-op teams my first two years in the expo organizations. I was so bad. Uh, I hit 220 with two home runs in my rookie season. And, uh, and it wasn't until I, my double A season in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, that I kind of, you know, I, I didn't, I needed people to tell me that I was good because I was just having fun and enjoying life and, you know, hanging out with a bunch of guys playing baseball, you know, in minor leagues, making 500 bucks a month, uh, living with five other guys in a house. Uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it, but I didn't know the, the seriousness of it probably until double A, the season I, uh, when double A ended when you go through all that process, there was a certain work ethic that you had. I, I think when at the big league level, you had, I'm going to pick this bat up and I'm going to swing it. I'm, I'm going to just react because it, but you have to create that. You have to be able to get to that point. Was there an opportunity that you did because you had to go to instructional league four or five times, winter ball. When was that moment where you felt like, hey man, you know what? I'm pretty close to getting this opportunity. Gosh, you know, I, I don't, Shereen, I don't know if I ever had that thought in my head to where I was like, okay, I'm, that phone's going to ring. I'm going to get this call or anything. That, that, it never really went through my head. I don't think I ever, I, I never really set myself up for something that was, couldn't possibly ever happen. I, I just uh, grinded out what was happening at that moment and uh, in a day-by-day process. And, uh, and, and that's how I approached it. And if something good was going to come of it, uh, it, you know, it would happen and it would happen because you know, I'm, I'm doing something good right now. I wasn't, uh, like, I, I didn't want, not want to be let down. So I never really set myself up for anything ever. Uh, you know, that's why I really never set any goals any year ever just to, to try to stay healthy. And even that, that was a flipping challenge in my career. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so just, just going out there and, and playing hard every day and try to try to turn some heads. Was there any one person uh, who you felt inspired you? I had read an article where you, you said your father said, hey, man, you want to be a laborer for the next 50 years? Uh, then you can choose to shut it down. Um, I don't know if it's your father or who would you say if there was a singular person who was a driver who would not let Larry Walker walk from the game? Uh, I don't think I can, once again, throw one person out there. It's um, It's like it's like asking who's your favorite teammate you ever had. And I've never been able to answer that with a single guy. I could say a couple that uh, off the top of my head that I really enjoyed with and, and, you know, maybe one more than other that kind of made me help me relax when I got to the big leagues and everything. But, um, you know, the, the, I guess the drive was just, you know, that willing to win and you, you try to win with every other guy that's in the, wearing the same uniform as you when you take the field and, and that's your drive right there, you know, and then once you do win, uh, you want to taste it all the time because there's really nothing better than celebrating with your teammates' uh, victory and, and making the playoffs and throwing champagne on each other. Uh, uh, that's the ultimate goal of the game, and and, uh, and I sincerely mean that more than anything else. Any individual thing I've ever won, uh, the things that stand out are the, t- are the years you make the playoffs. 1989, you get the call to the big leagues and your Montreal Expos of all the teams, right? It's just so exciting, I think, on the outside to, to revisit your story, but Walk us through how you were told you were going to the big leagues. Who'd you call? Who'd you tell right away? Um, yeah, it was in Indianapolis. Uh, my, my wife at the time, we were, were just hanging out at home. I was getting ready to go to the park for a home game and 
gosh, I, I, Tom Runnels, the, the manager, uh, ended up calling me and and saying, uh, the big club wants you up there. You're, you're going up. And I don't even know what I, I – I'm not sure I recall what I thought. You know, I'm like, well, what do you mean they want me up there? Like, to do what? You know, <laughs> why do they want me up in the big league? So, because you know, you're going to be a big leaguer. So, um, yeah, that phone call ended. And uh, I don't remember if there was – tears of joy and happiness or not. I don't recall that. Uh, I do recall just picking up the phone and the first call, obviously I think like every one of us would do is uh, write to mom and dad and, and, and fill them in on it all. And you know, they're, it's, it's kind of like the hall of fame stuff. They're just blown away and emotions take over and then they're, you know, they're proud of their son. So away it went. Do you remember your first, your first at bat, maybe your first hit first home run were those something that, that, that does resonate in your mind? Well, as we get older, you know, we forget a lot of things, you know. <laughs> but I do remember my first game. Uh, you know, so I was a scrawny kid still. I was—I think I was still around 190 pounds and still, you know, hadn't filled in yet. And uh, I remember seeing the videos and just couldn't believe how skinny I was uh, compared to where I am today. But, uh, yeah, I was against the Giants and Mike Lacoste was the pitcher. Uh, first at bat, uh, I walked. My second at bat, I, I walked. Actually, after that at bat, I got down to first base, and Will Clark said to me, he says, good God, they're pitching you like your Babe Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, then my third at bat, I managed to flip a single to left field. 89 to 94, you play in Montreal. Larry, give us some context as to what it meant to you uh, to represent Montreal and Canada as a homegrown product. Yeah, you know what? It, uh, it was obviously a big thrill to, to be north of the border and, and, and have my country's uniform on. Um, I know that, that you know, there is another team in, in Toronto, but, uh, but uh, it was a big thrill, and, and it, was, it was talked about a lot. I, I know the people in Montreal probably would have wished I was a French-Canadian, not just a Canadian, but it would have meant uh, a ton more to them. But uh, they were very thrilled, to, as it was, to have a Canadian up there. And, uh, and, and like I say, it was, uh, it was a true honor to, to, to be able to – be up there and it didn't take long. I just to walk around on the streets and everybody knew who I was right away. It, uh, it was a weird feeling, but uh, like you say, proud Canadian and, and got to start my career in a Canadian uniform. It was pretty meaningful. Yeah. And you look at the, the North of the border, it takes you uh, the next step in your career is to Colorado. A lot of newness around Colorado. What was that like when you signed and having that atmosphere for that first game? Yeah, you know, as a as a Montreal Expo, we we twice went in there because uh, they started in '93. So '93, '94, uh, as a visitor into Colorado was, you know, if, if that never would have happened, I probably never would have told my agent. You know, when they said if you you know you're a free agent, you have a, you have a choice to go somewhere, what would be your first choice? And I said Colorado just because wow. of the fans and the, the the city itself and how it looked. It reminded me so much of of where I came from outside the Vancouver, British Columbia area with the beautiful mountains, trees, and that fresh mountain air, and that uh, that was a big turnoff for me. But you know, they're playing at Mile High Stadium. There's eighty five thousand people, and, and you know, as, as players yourselves, you know, there's nothing better than taking the field to a full house. You know, it just amps up the energy and, and just makes it more exciting. When you go to Coors Field and you have that atmosphere, you guys created a fearful lineup. It, it was unbelievable as a visiting player coming in there it was very daunting and yes you talked about the home run but it really was the presence that you had throughout that lineup I mean there, there was uh, Blake Street Bombers that you talk everyone talks about 
but it was a top to bottom lineup that was very fearful. What was that like for you? Did that make it easier for you? Well, it was, it was fun. That's for sure. Um, you know, we had some, some thunder in the lineup. Um, and, and we needed that thunder because in those early days at Coors Field, you know, there were some football scores going up and you know, <laughs> before, before a bat goes in our hand, we're down a touchdown, you know, we haven't even touched a bat yet. So it's, uh, uh, it, it was thrilling knowing that you're never out of a game, you know, you just, you, you grind it out to the end and, and, uh, and, you know, it made for some thrilling games, it made for some long games and, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you felt those late in the season as you know, we played four hour plus games, uh, quite often and but uh nonetheless they're they're fun to play in and and uh you know as a hitter they're fun to play and I, I don't think our pitching staff would probably give you the same answers as i <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna ask you is even possible ever to get good pitching consistently in colorado I, i'll throw it out there i might as well ask you you're the expert on hitting there well like i say it's uh every now and then the pitchers had some good games you know you if we hit about uh maybe 15 rockets right at somebody, they would uh, aim <laughs> pretty unscathed. But uh, uh, it, it was tough. You know, not only was the a, a great hitting ballpark, a great hitting background from home plate as a hitter, and a very uh, expansive outfield that, uh, that added to the to the problems for pitchers. You know, uh, I, I believe it's, if not the, or, or was the biggest outfield in the, in the game at the time. Interesting, Larry, that uh, for our listeners, people don't realize what goes into the thought process of choosing your bat and, and having your signature on it or a different model. What was that choice for you and, and what did you use? Uh, during the minor leagues, when I first started, I used an R43 model, which I, I believe had something to do with Babe Ruth, uh, hence the R. Uh, I'm not sure the, the, the truth about that, but that was something I remember from. Uh, I was more of a feel guy, and, and whatever felt good or, w or whatever was working really was uh, good for me. Uh, I was struggling, I think, my second year in Montreal, and, and uh, I asked a teammate if I can borrow one of his bats, and that teammate, you'd think I'd pick a really big, strong guy, but I borrowed Spike Owen's bat, so, <laughs> so I, I took his little toothpick up there, and uh, I think it was Buddy Blackwood facing that day, and uh, I had a double and a triple off of Buddy, and then another double in the game using that Galen colored back. It almost looks pink in a way, and uh, that was what I ended up using. And that model, I believe, was a C two thirty five. But uh, once again, like I say, there, there was I was going through some rough times. I'd grab anybody's bat, and no matter what model it was, just how it felt without looking to see what it was. It's interesting, Larry. You say that because uh, w when I was in that same uniform as you as a teammate. I asked you if I could use one for batting practice, one of your models. And I, it was too big for me to use in a game because coming off a bench and facing a guy, I had to use that Spike Owen type of bat. Maybe it was a little smaller. But I, you gave me one of those finished bats, and it was so unique, and it was, it was cool. I used it in batting practice for probably four or five months. And you know that. All the bad swings that I took in batting practice, and I didn't break it. It was one of those things you probably wanted it back because it was one of those models that it, it wasn't going to break. It was so hard. And I loved the finish. I just didn't want to take your, 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 your smoke on when it came down to the, the finish that you used. Well, you have to make contact to be able to break the batch. Really. I don't know what you're <laughs> uh, It was a good bat. Like I say, it, uh, 
it was a unique bat. I got asked a million times on what, what is that bat? What is that finish? You know, and for the longest time, I didn't know what the heck it was even called. So, but it was called Galen was the finish. Yeah. You know, when we uh, take a look at your career, Larry, it's easy to marvel at, at your offensive production, 97 MVP award, uh, but seven gold gloves and anybody who had a chance to watch you or in Mark's case, play with you, I think appreciates the hard work you put into the defensive side of your game and your former manager, Don Baylor, had raved about you and Bobby Cox and others in the league. Is there one side or one facet to your game that you took more pride in, whether it was offensive defense? Well, I think, uh, you know, any player would, would, would choose offense. You know, everybody wants to get that walk-off home run and or get that big hit late in the game to win. Uh, as far as my pride on what I, uh, I guess, loved the best was – all of it. And that's, you know, I had to learn all of it, you know, from, from hitting uh, with, you know, the early days with Ralph Rowe as a hitting instructor and doing that uh, with base running with Tommy Harper and, and learning all that and junior minor with all the outfield work that I ended up having to do. It just uh, a lot of, a lot of work went to every aspect of the game and I didn't like leaving out anything. I didn't want to be horrible at something, you know, I wanted to be good at everything. So really, really worked hard at it all. And, and, uh, and probably hitting was the thing I worked at the most because I was so not advanced as far as seeing sliders, curveballs, footballs. Uh, growing up in the Little League I had, it was a fastball and something that came up that was supposed to be a curveball but really didn't do anything. So uh, how to learn how to hitting was the hardest of everything. But I, I really enjoyed being as good as I could possibly be at every aspect of the game. Larry, it's interesting. Uh, your former uh, manager, the late Don Baylor, said that you have six tools and it was the instincts that you developed, which I think is, is something that when you hear it from a guy that was so well-respected in the game of baseball, like a Don Baylor, that's got to feel cool. And all of this is you're starting to see some of the admiration that people had with the, the type of game that you had, all five tools. I, I watched the base running aspect and it stuck out to me. But also there's your defense. A lot of people called you an expert actor because you gave the impression that you were going to catch a fly ball, it's ricocheting off the wall in Coors Field, and you're taking it off a one hop and throwing it to second base and keeping the guy to a single. So that pride definitely came out. But it's interesting that everyone marvels that you had five tools, but it didn't come easy. No, and like I say, it's, uh, you know, when I talk to Canadian kids or, or American kids or wh whoever they're from, and, and they're, they're lacking you know, skill or, or even worse confidence, you know, it's, uh, I try to tell them, you know, how far I came along in the game and, uh, how I didn't know how to hit. I, you know, I hit two two twenty my first year and, and, uh, did the instruction leagues and everything. And just that, it, you know, and that, that happened at a later age. I was 17 years old when I was doing all that and learning all this. So, uh, it doesn't have to happen at such a young age because a lot of these kids are, you know, 10 to 15 years old that are really having, doubts about the game they think they're terrible and everything and and uh like i say i had to learn how to do all the hitting and base running and throwing and and then and the, learning the rules of the game like, I, like, I mean i think you've all heard the story where i didn't even know you had to touch second again so you know uh <laughs> the hit and run and run by second and then cut across the pitcher's mound back to first well i already touched second why well, i gotta touch it again you know a lot of a lot of things that yeah, i had to learn at a late stage in my in my career and you know so it's never too late I love that. Gene Glenn was the third base coach, if yeah. I remember on that, which is yeah. one of those guys. I'm sure the impression on his, on his face was, was interesting. 
an aspect when you were in Colorado, it came to a, a tough time. And I was there uh, in, in being involved in your first trade. Take us back to when the Colorado Rockies traded you to the Texas Rangers. And you had a decision because in your contract, you had a no trade. What was that like? And, and uh, do you remember that moment? I do. It, uh, it, it weighed on me pretty bad because I had a lot of people, including my agents, uh, telling me and family members telling me that uh, you should do this. You know, I think the Rangers were a half a game out of first or something in that neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I had talked to their owner and their GM and everything and uh, you know, having them try to convince me to go. And, and I don't know, it took me two and a half days. I think we have three days to, to, to accept it or decline it. And it took me over two days to, to decline it. Um, and I don't know why I did, but something or someone told me not to do it. And, uh, like I say, as it worked out, the Cardinals came knocking, uh, shortly after that, which I was like, accepted that one. And, and it also turned out good that a lot of the things that I had been told by uh, the Texas people really, uh, were falsehoods and never came true. So it was, uh, they were feeding me full of stuff to try to get me there. And, um, and, uh, it didn't, didn't turn out that way. So I'm glad I made the decision I did. As you mentioned, August 6th, 2004, you get traded again, and you're, you're going to St. Louis. What was that like? Because uh, another very good team, but a need for you to, to go to St. Louis in a, a great baseball city. Yeah, that was a no-brainer. Uh, whereas Texas took over two days, that one took over two minutes, and, uh, and that was pretty, pretty much done in my head right away. There were 14 or 17 games in first place guaranteed to go to the playoffs, uh, which, like I said earlier, that's that's what that's what you want to play for, and that's uh, that was a big thrill of it. And then playing as many times as I had in Bush Stadium to a full house, see a red every every game goes back to also what I said earlier. There's nothing better than playing in front of a full house, and you knew you were getting that every night in St. Louis. So uh, quite a, quite an honor to to put the birds on the bat on my chest and, and walk out there with that uniform the first time. It was a huge thrill. Let's talk about that playoff run that that team had. Uh, you end up losing to the Red Sox, but you guys went on a, on a pretty good tear and a very talented lineup again. You had Jim Edmonds, Albert Pujols, Scott Rowland. What was that like and what was your role, the feeling of going into the playoffs with the Cardinals? Well, big thrill, like you say, yeah, talent everywhere, pitching staff that was solid as can be, a uh, Hall of Fame manager who could outmanage anybody else on the other side any day. Uh, he was, you know, two innings, three innings ahead of every other manager on moves that were going to make or could happen and uh, and just, uh, like I said, the clubhouse was as calm and relaxed and just cool as can be. And then when you take the field, it's, uh, it's all business, but still that fun side of it out there with all those guys you mentioned. And, uh, it, it was a blast. It was a, it was a great team that, uh, unfortunately we got, we got swept, uh, by a team that would, uh, was destined to win. And, uh, I get reminded about that a lot from all the East coast people that I hang out with. What was the difference uh, in the batter's box in a World Series for you, especially at that point in your career? When I say the difference, I mean between that at-bat or those at-bats and any other at-bat you'd had in your life prior. Um, well, me personally, nothing. Uh, it was it, I, like every game, you, you, you approach it as another game. You know, the only difference, uh, I, I guess, was that in the first game is there's, you know, the first game in, in Boston, there's, planes that are flying over making lots of noise and there's usually somebody pretty cool singing the anthem so I'm getting third, second I'm the third person in line with Tony La Russa, uh, Tony Womack and then me and uh and Steven Tyler singing the national anthem so of all the thrills I remember from game one 
man, it was just, it was how nervous I was being three people away from Steven Tyler, lead singer of Aerosmith. That was, that pumped me up and made me ready to get play, go play the game. Larry, um, with all the stuff that you went through and now you have to backtrack a little bit with this hall of fame and, and how, what's next, what is next for, for Larry Walker? What are you looking to forward to, uh, in the near future? Well, I got my golf in- index down to 5.4 right now, nice. so I'm out of golf. <laughs> um, you know what, baseball-wise, not uh, not much unless it's with Team Canada. That's all I've really decided to do. So anything that happens with Team Canada, uh, if I'm able to do that, I am. You know, uh, before all this uh, pandemic hit, I was over in Japan and South Korea with the team for a tournament over there. Um, I've done the Pan Am Games and won a gold medal with them and uh, and the Olympics, uh, you know, that's what we're fighting for right now to try to get into the Olympics. Uh, we got to wait another year, but uh, to try to qualify for that. But uh, I've coached every WBC that we've had so far. And uh, I really, you know, I guess I have a thrill going out there and be with these guys. I think normalcy is important to you. Just being around you for the years I was as a teammate. Um, is that harder now? Uh, or is it, uh, I'm just going to sink in and try to be the same Larry Walker I've always been. Well, that's all I know how to do. And, uh, you know, everybody said, well, your life's just changed. You're a Hall of Famer now. And, and that's, that was all the talk at the beginning. And, and now that all the, the early hype is over, I've kind of settled back down and, and continued the way I was before the, the call came in. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty private guy. I don't, uh, I don't uh, necessarily enjoy being out in the public and being seen all the time. I just like kind of having fun and not getting noticed. You know, it's... Uh, I'm happier with nobody doesn't when nobody knows who I am. Where then, then a whole place knows who I am. I'm, uh, it's just uh, just my makeup. It's not an ego thing. It's just who I am. I don't like really doing interviews and 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 doing uh, you know things like this. It's just you yeah. know I, I do a I do a handful here and there, but not very many. It's just uh, it's just what I'm comfortable with. I think it's interesting, and and we appreciate you taking time because I do know that, and uh, it, it was one of those things when we asked you to do this interview. It's uncomfortable. The one thing that I definitely want people to understand is that as former teammates that rattled through Colorado or were in Montreal with you, understood that you needed uh, to get this call a lot sooner. And I think a lot of people were starting to be vocal about that. But there's also certain things that we have that are, are collectibles that we go through the game. And some people don't like collecting things. Um, it, but it's those artifacts that are meaningful. And the reason why I say this is that when you got traded from, from Colorado to St. Louis, this was an aspect that I'm in the locker room. I'm, I don't even know if I pinch hit in that game or not. So I'm in the locker room during, in, the, in between innings, and here you are getting traded. And you look into your locker, big, huge locker in the corner, and you flip me a glove, and it has all of your gold gloves etched in that. And he said, you want this? And I, and I look at it, and I'm, I can't believe I have the glove in my hands. And, and I'm like, are you serious? And you're like, yeah, I got five of them. It's no big deal. The reason why I say this is that that's something that I always cherish and, and because I was fortunate enough to be one of your teammates and learn to see what a guy is with humility but also unbelievable talent. And it's not a big deal to you. That's the reason why I'm so grateful that you came on with us and you present yourself just the way you are. And, and it's no different, but it's really cool for the listener to understand Larry Walker's always going to be Larry Walker. And I appreciate you, man. 
Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. But I don't remember giving you that glove. You sure you didn't steal it out of my locker? <laughs> no, I didn't steal it out of your locker. But if you want it back, you're more than welcome to have it back. I, just, and I remember the Rawlings, Rawlings guys approached me and said, do you want anything etched on this? Like, for example, and I said, okay, yeah, throw that on there. And I think I had six of those made. Uh, I've given two of them away, and the other four are still in a closet down in, in, in Florida at my house there. Just uh, – just sitting there. I've never, never ever done anything with them. So I don't know. I don't even know why I had them made, but uh, hey, you got one of the six. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, Derek Jeter's going in with you, and Ruben Rivera took a glove out of his locker. So don't compare me to, to, to that. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. I'm very grateful that I do have that uh, etched in my memory, and I have it in my, in my office here. Oh, well, you're welcome. It was, it was for all those extra, extra. Uh, inning late hits that you got to win us ball games that you so good at coming off the bench and doing what you did is not an easy thing. So, yeah, that was your reward. Well, Larry, it was a heck of a time for all of us uh, getting to spend some moments with you. We really do appreciate it. We know how busy you are. And once again, from all of us, uh, congratulations on your uh, election to Baseball's Hall of Fame. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I hope everybody is healthy and happy and uh We'll, we'll, we'll see you all soon once we can all come out of uh, out of hiding and, uh, and, and be normal again. I can't wait. Yeah, Thanks for the time, Walk. You got it, guys. 17 wonderful seasons in the big leagues and now a Hall of Famer, Larry Walker. Folks, thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and subscribe. Anywhere you usually download your podcast from, doesn't matter. Could be your platform, could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, doesn't matter. Just really glad that you're aboard with us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.